Fantastic. Um, just by way of introduction, I just want to take one minute um, to say, I, during the worship, I could see uh, very clearly a picture of Jesus uh, riding on a stallion uh, and just coming in these these doors. And I, I felt that it, I felt that some of it is an introduction to what we're now going to hear from different people who are going to preach that. Um, you know, Hebrews 10, 12 says that Jesus sat down because he'd finished, it was a finished work. Uh, but equally, he's a king that rides on a stallion with all authority, not only as a priest, but as a king. Uh, and I feel like it, it, I can see him literally standing at the snorting kind of power of the horse. And yet the, the kingly rule and reign of, of this king seated on a very appropriately powerful uh, beast, really. Uh, and that Jesus just just gently actually walking around, on, on seated on his horse, uh, just dealing with things in our lives as, as he does that. And so uh, we know that he's crushed the enemy, don't we? We, we heard that wonderful exhortation from Matt. Uh, as he as he led us in worship about he's made the way and so even as I'm going to introduce now I want us to sit here with faith not that we're just listening to words from perhaps some people we haven't necessarily seen up here before or, or frequently preaching but but words that bring life and Jesus is breathing on them as he walks around this auditorium amen Amen. So what we've got, last week I, I spoke on authenticity and um, uh, we looked at this whole thing about uh, authenticity is a powerful thing in terms of building family uh, and it's spiritual warfare and we, we talked about killing performance and pretense and, uh, and punishment, that this whole thing of religion uh, that the enemy sowed into the church really, that we have to perform our way to God, Jesus has dealt with that on the cross and enabled us to be really real because the gospel, uh, Jesus by his blood, his death resurrection uh, he's able to wash us clean even as we're open about things he's able uh, to set us free and we can be unconditionally accepted is that not good news and so what we thought it'd be quite good fun to do is to get um, we've got uh, Mark Hallery, Ali Baxter, Tracy Blick going to come and share some things uh, with us uh, to really bring some sort of kind of earthing to the things that I kind of put a foundation for last week we did that with the culture of honor if you remember and so this is how it's going to work uh, we've met in McDonald's, the holy place. It's increasingly anointed that place as we gather there as Christians regularly. You know, walk out, oh, there's, there's someone else coming in. Uh, and so we sat there and we said, okay, we've, these guys have got 10 minutes each, okay, uh, to, uh, to present and to speak to us. And then at the end, we're going to just worship and, and minister. Uh, and the way I was going to do it is I'm going to have a, I'm going to, I've got this thing, uh, it's time for 10 minutes, uh, and it's going to be a buzzer, and I said, when you see me, if you go over your time and you see me stand up next to you, that's when you're really over time, uh, okay, because I know us preachers, we never run over, uh, and so, um, yeah, so, uh, uh, Lord, forgive me. Um, so, we're going to uh, hand over for Mark Allery, who's going to come and open up initially with this whole thing of comparison, so, Mark Allery. You can stay standing. You'd all like to stand, please. Don't worry, this isn't uh... I need your help with something to start with. Imagine the scene. 
You're returning from the inaugural World Church Table Tennis Finals. <laughs> you land at Heathrow. For some as yet unknown reason, you are encouraged to disembark down the steps to the runway. You don your high-vis vest, feeling vindicated at keeping it to hand for such occasions. <laughs> On your way across the tarmac, suddenly... A Boeing 747 is bearing down on you at maybe 20 miles an hour. Noisy, unexpected, terrifying. In a moment, you realise that you may have caused some confusion by your attire <laughs> and feel the responsibility to step forward. Okay, this is the bit I need you to help me with. Okay, we, we need to control this airline. <laughs> Say with me, exclude. Include. Include. Retreat. Retreat. Advance. <laughs> That's excellent. You can sit down. The plane stops, turns and taxis away from the crowd. Bravo and salutations. That is how you park a jumbo jet. For legal reasons, I should mention that that was not an accurate description of airline marshalling. Neither myself or God First are liable for any damage caused by your relying on above information to alleviate disaster, but instead has arisen solely for quality and training purposes. Please see website for full terms and conditions. Next slide. Exclude. Oh, good morning. Uh, my name's Mark. What do you need to know about me? Um, my left foot has the toenails of a dinosaur, and I have never knowingly worn a poncho. <laughs> Although that could be changed if the right opportunity arose. We're going to be looking at comparison this morning. Um, I had an interesting phone call from Duncan a few weeks ago to talk to me about this, and he said, I think you'd be good to talk about this because you seem like a reasonably secure guy. And because I'm authentic, I said, yes, yes. <laughs> and inside, I made a noise like, hmm. Our country, and the world at large, is riddled with comparison. It is how we are defined, it is how we define ourselves, it is the currency of respect, the engine of worldly success, and the insatiable hunger that keeps us buying and trying and building and doing. Everywhere we go, we judge others, we are judged, and we judge ourselves against others. People with more money, people with better jobs, people with a house or a better house, people with the latest gadget, people that go abroad a lot on holiday, people with a posh car, people with smaller bottoms, people that always dress well, people that can run fast and far, people that have their own teeth, people who are married, people that have kids, people whose kids are seemingly always polite, people who have never said the phrase, just put your socks on, at more than 150 decibels. People who are better at sport, people who win, people who are clever, people who have savings, people who have loads of friends, people who sound wise, people who sound friendly, the list goes on and on and on. On the back of all this, our culture is exclusive, leaving people out in certain situations, those who don't measure up or fit in with everyone else's normal. I have a mug at work that says, I love spreadsheets. I don't love spreadsheets. <laughs> I just have a moderate understanding of how to use them compared to other people in our office who are terrified of computers. 
I like to think of this comparison thing as being like an enormous spreadsheet across the world with everyone's names on and lots of different features, and you categorize people depending on how they rate in terms of yourself. Obviously, towards the top of the list, you might get people like the Bill Gates and the Elon Musks of this world. But I would like to put the cultural behemoth at the top of the list that is the guy at Mercedes-Benz who in 1997 developed the multifunctional switchblade key. Previously, opening a car was a tedious, depressing affair. Now and forevermore, would you not only enjoy being greeted by the car as you approach, hiya, <laughs> but the absolute joy that comes with the silver button of destiny <laughs> revealing, no, this is not just a plastic box, but hello. <laughs> I am your car key. I am ready for ignition. I wonder where you'd put yourself on that spreadsheet. Who is above you? And when you look around the world, do you ever feel like you're not good enough? You're not enough. Next slide, include. 2,000 years ago, my saviour, Jesus, lived and died, crucified for our sins so that our relationship with God and each other could be redeemed and restored. His dying on the cross is the greatest single act of inclusion the world has ever witnessed. Say include. It completely ridicules our petty squabbles about who's who and says to a world that was never righteous enough to earn communion with God that he would be given it, he would be given it as a gift from the only person to walk this earth who actually had the right to exclude people but instead chose to invite us into his family. For as many of you as were baptised into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, you are all one in Christ Jesus. So Jesus demonstrates that his kingdom is a kingdom of inclusion, a kingdom of grace, a kingdom where even the, if the world says you're not good enough, Jesus declares love and goodness and grace over you as a chosen son or daughter of God, cherished, beloved, delighted over. So how do we reflect this as a church? Before we go into this, what I have to say largely up front is that we do really well on this. This is a place where all are welcome, all sorts of different people from different backgrounds who gather around our faith in Jesus Christ. But thinking through this over the past few weeks, I feel God prompted me to pick up on a few things where maybe we don't quite get this right. Remember we talked about that spreadsheet. There's someone else on that spreadsheet that constantly winds me up, looks down on me, mocks me from the upper reaches of the spreadsheet. He is perfect me. Perfect me has no regrets, never makes any bad choices, he never says the wrong thing, he's appropriately quiet, wise, friendly, everything he does works, everything he does is well received, people constantly praise him, and in his perfection he never struggles with pride. He never shouts, never swears, he has the best job, is always loving and gracious to his wife, reads his Bible with every spare minute, prays unceasingly, turns up early all the time, and his car never breaks down. <laughs> I wonder if you compare yourself to a, an imaginary perfect version of yourself. It sounds like a joke, but actually I know there will be people here who have lost sleep because they were churning over something they wished they hadn't done or hadn't said, 
wishing that they were that perfect me version of themselves. I wonder if you think that the church would prefer you if you were that other version. As the great Admiral Akbar once said, <laughs> it's a twap. <laughs> perfect me doesn't exist. It's a lie used by our enemy to rob us of the relationship with God and each other that God intended for us. When we look at perfect me and allow ourselves to be told that what we really are is not enough for God or for each other, we buy into a lie that is designed to keep us from walking into what Paul calls the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is in Christ. Instead, we wear masks to try and hide the real us. One mask is the mask of the ever-cheerful, always smiley, always bubbly, always friendly, and yet behind the mask, not connected, not content, not living in authentic relationship with their brothers and sisters. Another such mask is the thing mask, which sounds like a horror movie, and it sort of is. Guys are pretty bad for this. We have a thing, an interest or a hobby, a ministry, and our identity is built around this. And so long as we stick to that topic, we can engage without being exposed. We can present a version of us without ever having to share the real us. In terms of our self-judgment, where Christ has torn down the curtain in the temple that separated us from the presence of God, we say, retreat, retreat, and step back away from God and each other rather than step into the authentic connection that God won for us. Jesus said this, greatest commandment is this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. God's intention is for us to have an authentic, powerful, assured vertical relationship with him and also an authentic powerful assured horizontal relationship with each other as brothers and sisters in Christ the masks are off rather than being lied to in retreat we can take a position of advance where the kingdom of God grows by the deepening of our assurance in him and in each other which catapults us out to show the world the goodness and the power of God from a heart of total security and acceptance. Even comparison is redeemed so that rather than being burdened by other people's excellence, we are encouraged and rejoice in it. Wow. Thank you, Mark. Powerful. These guys are just going to swap mics, so feel free to share one thing you found powerful in that talk with the person next to you, then I'll join you back together. So feel free. Okay, can I have a, your attention this way for Ali Wassell, who's going to come and speak on us. Killing Re- Ali Wassell, not Ali Baxter. Ali Baxter. Oh, I love that. <laughs> Okay, I think I need an extra five minutes for that one, Duncan. (laughs) The crime scene. 
One evening, on the outskirts of a bustling city in Palestine, a well-kept house stood out amongst all the others around it. This house was obviously the home of a wealthy person, and it was full of life. The shutters were open, lamps were lit, and there was the sound of laughter and people talking. Good food and wine flowed, and even more people were arriving. It was the place to be in Jericho that evening. And every now and then, you could just catch the glimpse of a very small man mingling with his friends, a glazed smile on his face, and the hint of a tear in his eye. But yes, this was a murder scene. You see, not that long ago, something was put to death. A killing took place, and it had changed everything. The timeline. Many years before this crime took place, a young boy played with his friends in the school grounds. He looked just like all the others, but as they grew older, the difference between him and those around him began to show. The other boys and girls grew taller, and in time, they all towered above him. It soon became obvious that Zacchaeus was always going to be rather small. At first, it didn't matter that much. He still had friends, but as time went on, he struggled to do the sports the other boys loved to do. Then the girls took less notice of him. They giggled and hung around the boys that would one day provide for them and protect them. His friends never deliberately excluded Zacchaeus, but gradually they took less notice of him. And it wasn't long before Zacchaeus, fearing the pain of exclusion and rejection, began to isolate himself. His legs, though short, were still strong and he could easily climb the lower branches of a sycamore or olive tree. He loved to hide himself away in the trees and watch everyone else's fun from a distance. Zacchaeus became less visible, was gradually forgotten about, and the lives of his peers moved on. They found work, married, had children. They had the sort of life that he thought he could never have. As he became older, he realized that not being noticed was very useful, and there were things he could see and hear that no one, um, that no one else could the habit of hiding himself away up a tree or in a dark corner unnoticed meant that he soon had a nice little earner in bribery and corruption. He thought that having money would win him friends and influence people, but the way he went about it distanced him more from the things he craved most. Somewhere inside this very little man was a big heart that longed for acceptance and love. He thought he should get an honest job, and as he was so good with money, he became a tax collector to the, for the Roman government. He found himself working with the thing that he now valued most in the world and something that would never reject him, money. By taking just a little extra here and there, he was now not just a very little man, but a very rich man too. And the spiral of being despised and rejected continued as people saw him advancing at their cost. One day, this lonely little man sat in his tax collector's booth and looked around him. Hmm, he thought. I spent a lot of money on this booth, and it's very well made. Nice dovetails. Um, I must employ that carpenter again. Carpenter? Now, why does that ring bells? Oh, yes, Jesus. He was a carpenter and has made something of himself. Everyone loves him. They follow him everywhere. I wonder what his secret is. I've heard he says and does amazing things. He's coming to town. I must meet him, but wait, 
no one will let me near him. And of course, he won't even acknowledge me or want to give me any time. But I can see him and hear him, even if he won't see me. And like many times before, and for just the same reasons, Zacchaeus went into the center of Jericho, Jericho and unnoticed, he climbed a tree. The perp. Or for normal people who are not quite so crime-obsessed like me, the perpetrator of the crime. The one what did it, gov? The person responsible for killing rejection in Zacchaeus' life was Jesus. Yes, he was the one that set Zacchaeus free. But in the eyes of the people around him, Jesus was the one who deserved judgment and punishment. But just how did he do it? What was his MMO? His motive, means, and opportunity. His motive was love. In Jesus' time, rejection was everywhere, and for all the same reasons that rejection exists today. Jesus himself was rejected, but he loved and accepted everyone from the most sinful to the dirtiest outcasts of society. He didn't turn anyone away, and he gave them the means and the opportunity to change their way of life and be free from their past. Means. Jesus did notice Zacchaeus, and Zacchaeus climbed down from his tree. The story doesn't go into detail about what Jesus said to him in that busy house that day, but I like to think that Jesus leaned across and whispered in his ear words of affirmation, that he was loved and accepted no matter what he looked like or what he had done. It would take time for Zacchaeus to really begin to believe this, but this had already started. He had begun to accept himself and others, and they had begun to accept him. Words of forgiveness. For others and for himself, Zacchaeus had been carrying so much resentment for so long that he was the one who had become a prisoner. Jesus showed Zacchaeus that through forgiveness he could turn the key and set himself free, he could find the freedom to live differently. Words of hope. Zacchaeus could make small changes that could make big differences. He began to be honest with Jesus about the hurt and disappointment in his life, and Jesus told Zacchaeus that he didn't need to feel alone anymore. He said there were some good people in Jericho, those that had been following him for a while, they would gather around Zacchaeus and help him to live a transformed life. Opportunity. Jesus said of himself, I have come to bring good news to the poor, proclaim freedom for the prisoners, give sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim God's favour over everyone. Jesus took every opportunity to effect change in a person's life. Just like he did for Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus grabbed the opportunity that Jesus offered him and with hope in his heart, he turned away from rejection and started a new way of living. The punishment. Death. As Jesus walked the earth, crime scenes just like Zacchaeus's one, popped up everywhere. 
Jesus put to death rejection and many other things that damaged people's lives. But in turn, the world around Jesus rejected him. They thought they had found a better way to live. They liked their way of control and manipulation of people to meet their own needs. Jesus' way meant freedom from the hypocritical laws in place at that time. Jesus had even said that he was the way, the truth, and the life, and there was no other way to know God. It was radical, and it was the way of love. The words that Jesus spoke changed everything, and he had to be stopped. Jesus had to die. So let's return to the scene of the crime. Now, Zacchaeus was a very little man. (laughs) Well, I had to put that in somewhere, didn't I? The following day, Zacchaeus walked around his home. It looked very different now. All the possessions that had seemed so important to him yesterday had gone. He had given them all away. He had so much more than things now. He had people who loved him and accepted him just the way he was. He glanced out of the open window. Ooh, just a minute. Is that Ruth, the widower from across the way? She's smiling at me, and oh my word, she's actually beckoning me over. Well, I never. I think Jesus would love to see many more crime scenes in this place this morning. In fact, he would love for it to get very messy indeed. This morning, Jesus offers exactly the same motive, means, and opportunity that he offered to Zacchaeus. Jesus is still completely motivated by his love for you to bring you freedom from your past and to make a difference to your future. There are people here who will whisper in your ear the means you need to do this. A relationship with Jesus, a change of ways, forgiveness, emotional healing and hope. Will you take this opportunity to meet with Jesus? for him to begin to kill the things that are killing you? Can he call you out from your hiding place? Here you'll find the love, support and community around you that will help you as you climb down from your tree, just as Zacchaeus did. But more importantly, you'll meet with Jesus and he can change everything 